Hello and welcome to the Enjoy Church podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this message empowers, equips, and helps you become everything God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. As we read through this verse, there's three biblical responses to when you don't understand why. I'm going to give you the first one right now. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. What do we do when we don't understand? Here's the first thing. I will trust in God. I may not understand everything. I may not see what God is doing, but here's what I'm going to do. I will trust in God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can you do this? Can you look at your neighbor and say, trust is a must? Come on, now look at your second choice and tell them, trust is a must. Come on, will you do it? Come on, how many know we love the second choice too? Come on, somebody say, trust is a must. You see, what the scripture teaches us when things happen in life, trust is a must. Now, let me just pause for a second and say, well, you know what, Pastor, I trust God, but I just don't get it, and I've got all these questions. Can I just stop and, and, and say, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand. Can I say God is big enough to handle your questions? In fact, I just want to take a little bit of burden off of you. Listen, you're not the only one to ask questions. Did you know that Jesus questioned? The Bible says that he went to the garden and he said, God, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, your will. Could we do it different? God says, no. Okay, your will be done. And then doing God's will, he's on the cross that he knew he was going to. And what does he shout when it's the darkest moment? My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Even Jesus had a moment of question. I ran across a verse the other day, and it just blessed my heart so much as I was walking through this season that my wife and I were walking through. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. It says, the Lord God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. Can I just tell you something? You have permission to not have to have all the answers. And there's this thing that we do to ourselves when we get in the middle of a trial where we feel like we have to explain everything, we have to understand everything, we have to be able to have all the answers. Listen, it's okay to say, God, I don't get it, I don't understand what's going on, here's what I know, you know all things, I'm not accountable for all things, I'm not accountable for what's happened in the world, I can just be accountable to trust in you. So, look at your first choice. And tell them, give yourself a break. Give yourself. In fact, just say, come on, somebody tell me. Say, trust is a must. It's interesting because the word trust in this passage, here's what it says. It says, be confident in, have faith in, be unsuspecting. How many of you have ever met a suspicious person? Some of you are so suspicious, you didn't want to raise your hand right now. You're... Why, why is he wanting me to do that? What is he going to sell me? 
It's so funny, our family will get together and do these little family vacations with my wife's side of the family, and, and my, my brother-in-law is Italian, and I know we have some Italians in the house today. Come on, Tony. And um, he's an Italian, and so his family is loud and boisterous, and, and we'll get together and we'll play these games, and it's so funny because I always know what's coming. Because as we're sitting there around the, you know, the table or wherever we are, playing in the living room, we're playing, and, and eventually, oh, he has five kids, by the way, and these five kids at some point, here's what's going to happen. In the middle of the game, one of the kids is going to jump up and say, you cheated! You know why? I've played with them and they all cheat. I'm not joking. I don't know what it is about being Italian, but for some reason... See, you had a right to be suspicious. Amen. Okay. um, They all cheat. They all were cheaters. I've seen them all cheat. And here's the thing, because they all cheat, they're all waiting for someone to cheat. And it's interesting because the word trust means unsuspecting. And there's a lot of Christians who the devil has lied to you because you've seen the world cheat. And so now you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're waiting for God to disappoint you. You're waiting for God to not know what he's doing. You're waiting for God to not be on the throne. So we begin to live our life rather than saying, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. We live our life with the lie of the enemy saying, well, when's God going to disappoint me? When are things going to go wrong? God says, listen, when things happen in your life, you make the decision. I'm going to trust in God. He's a good God. I can depend on him even when I don't understand why. It's interesting. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, it says this. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. It's interesting because the Bible says that Abraham trusted God, um, or Abraham had faith in God, and the word faith in the translation there means trust. Now, this is a whole other topic that we could preach on. Some of, of, I, I got to tell you, this is a tough verse to swallow as a parent, right? But what I love is that Abraham trusted. Why did he trust? Here's why. Because the Bible says, in fact, it gives us a description about Abraham that it gave to no one else. The one who probably had one of the hardest things to do with Isaac. Here's what it says. Abraham was a friend of God. In other words, Abraham knew God. He was friends with God. And because of that, here's what we know. How many know when you have a good friend... And then someone comes up and says, can you believe so-and-so and what they posted? I don't know why I'm going like this. But when we talk like that, suddenly our hand is like, it just happens. And you know, if you're that person's friend, you don't go, they did? You know what you say? You say, I don't believe that. Because I know my friend. Something must have happened, maybe, I don't know, but I'm telling you, I know the heart of my friend. I know my friend, and my friend wouldn't do something like that. That's not their heart, because listen, when you know him, you can trust him. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on, look at your second choice and tell him trust is a must. Trust is a must. I love what 
I love what Martin Luther King Jr. says. He simply says this, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. You may be in a position in life where things haven't been exactly the way you thought they would be. You may be even wondering and having some questions. Give yourself a break. God, he thinks differently than you and I. His ways are higher than ours. So say, Lord, I don't get it all. I don't need to see the end of the staircase. I know that you're a good God, that you're a loving God. So I'm going to take the first step, and I'm going to trust in the Lord. Come on, you all with me. Shout amen. Here's the second thing. Not only will I trust in the Lord, number two, I will lean on faith. I will lean on faith. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then it says, and lean not on your own understanding. The word lean is a Hebrew word which means to support yourself. Understanding is your intelligence, your insight, and your rational thought. So in other words, I'll explain it like this. I have some friends that are pranksters. Do you have anybody that's a prankster? Some of you immediately thought of Pastor Shane. You know, fun monkey. He likes to like, call people out and have fun. I have, I have friends that are pranksters and they'll do crazy things. I'll never forget this one time. We were gathering together for some meeting, whatever, and, and it was kind of weird. I knew something was up, but it didn't really register. But everyone like, was like, okay, you sit there, you sit there. Pastor Jared, you're over there. You're over there. And so I'm like, oh, cool. And so I go over to sit down, but when I sit down, the chair falls because something, they'd done something to it, and, 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 and I fell on the ground. and I didn't hurt or anything. But the point was is that I thought the chair would support me, but it couldn't. And that's what this scripture means. When you try to figure out God, when you try to understand the ways of God, you're sitting down on a chair that can't support you because you're supporting your intelligence is the thing you're leaning on rather than the abundant wisdom of God. That's why it's interesting. The scriptures say in Isaiah 55 verse 8, it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. You look at two plus two, it's got to be four. But sometimes God makes two plus two equal five. The problem is, is that a lot of people are hurting and they're staying in their sorrow. They're staying. What does the Bible say in, in Psalm chapter 23? It says, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Then it goes on to say, he leads me beside still waters. And yea, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. I want to point something out. Everyone, if they're a follower of the shepherd, is going to walk through a season of the valley of the shadow of death. But what he did is he tried to help you because he said, you don't sit down in the valley. You don't just stop in the valley. You don't just try to figure out the valley. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death because his rod and his staff will comfort you. Sorry, I'm getting my preach on. He's he's an angry elf over there. He's an angry elf. See, here's here's kind of how it works. I'll give you a quick example, then we'll move on. I was um, on a trip with, Pastor Evan, and we went and we had the privilege of getting to play golf. And some of you that are golfers will appreciate this. We went to St. Andrews, the old course. 
and we were there playing golf, and it was an incredible trip. And when we were there, one of the things they say that you should do is get a caddy because there's a lot of things about the course that you need to know, and they'll give you that information. So I had a caddy, and we were playing. I'll never forget, we got out to this one green, and it was out kind of by the water. And as I'm looking at the green, about to make my putt, the, you know, the hole was over here. I'm here, and you know, the, the green is sloping this way, right? It goes from here down to here. Well, the normal way that you would putt is you would putt that way so that it'll bring the ball back. And so I'm kind of lining up my putt, and then the caddy comes over, and he's like, what, what you thinking? Where are you going to hit the ball? And I'm like, well, obviously, I'm going to hit it up there, and it's going to come back down. He says, no, 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 you don't want to do that. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He says, the, the ocean is right here, and it's got a really hard pull. So actually what you're going to do is you're going to putt left because it's going to bring the ball back around. Now, I'll be honest with you, this caddy was a you know, really nice guy, but he had led me astray one other time. <laughs> Talk about suspecting that someone's going to cheat. I was kind of like, I don't know. And so you know what I did? I'm like, oh, okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay, I appreciate it. And so I got up, and I did what I thought I should do and put that way. And instead of the ball coming this way, it went that way. And I end up actually four-putting the green. Because here's the thing, I thought I knew, I was leaning on my knowledge, I was sitting on my ability, and here's what I figured out with the things of God, when, when it comes to things of life, God's ways are so higher than our ways, sometimes it feels like that you should putt right when you need to putt left, but what we do is you're going to be in trouble, you're going to stay in the valley of the shadow of death if you lean on your intellect. If you think you're smart enough, sometimes God says, what you got to do, here's the way you handle when you don't understand why. God, I don't get it all, so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to lean on the fact that you created the world. I'm going to lean on the fact that you knew me before I was in my mother's womb. I'm going to lean on the fact that you know how to put things into place. I'm going to lean on the fact that all things work together for the good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to lean on the fact that, listen, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you'll raise a standard against it. I'm going to lean on the fact that, wait a minute, it feels like it's over, but greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Sometimes you just have to say, Lord, I'm going to lean on faith. Trust is a must. Lean on faith. And here's the last one. Write this down. I will worship during the journey. I will praise through it. Not push through it. I'm going to praise through it. It says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Another translation says it this way, and he will make your paths straight. And what that means is instead of a crooked, uphill, broken He's going to make an easy path for you to walk. How do you do it? By acknowledging him. Now, some of you say, what does that have to do with praise? Well, first of all, the word acknowledge is an interesting word. It's a word yada in the Hebrew, and it means to know. And it's not like to know just by intellect. It's to know like when a man knows a woman. It's a term of intimacy. It's this idea of drawing close, leaning in. 
You see, one of the ways that you and I handle these situations is rather than running from the Lord, we run to the Lord. Rather than leaning away in doubt and fear, we lean in in intimacy and praise. Now, let me get real practical. How do you lean in? One way to lean in and and praise God. In fact, everybody give me a high five. Come on, uh, air high fives all across the room. One way we lean in is we get in the house of God. We get into times of worship and we start singing, shout Jesus from the mountain. I speak Jesus over your family. Why? Because Psalm chapter 37 or 73 says it this way. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. I didn't get why. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into the sanctuary of God and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. In other words, when you and I get into God's presence, when we lean into God's house, what happens? Suddenly things start to come together. We start to see things differently. I'm going to tell you, we can see it just since COVID. People that got out of church don't want to be in church anymore. They've given up on God. Why? Because the further away you get, the more that the devil makes sense and the less that God's plan makes sense. That's why you and I need to lean in. We need to worship in the midst of it. So get in, get in the church. Get in the house of God. Get in God's presence. You know, you know, the Bible says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will thrive in the courts of our God. You want to thrive? Get in the house of God. Get planted in the house of God. You're going to thrive, not just survive. Another thing you can do to lean in is to read your Bible. You know, the Bible says man cannot live by bread alone. Now, by the way, i got to tell you, there's some really good bread in Australia. I've had some raisin toast yesterday that rocked my world. But you can't live by raisin toast alone. I think that's what it means in the Hebrew, raisin toast from Australia, I think is what it says. The Bible says you can't live by that. What you're going to live by is the word of God. We need the word. Can I tell you, there's too many Christians, and here's why they, they can't get through their why season, because they're starving. They're famished. Because can I get real? I'm the guest, and I, I get to leave, so you, you, don't, you, you, you can't be mad at me for very long. Here's, here's the reality. Too many Christians only eat once a week. And we wonder why we're full of doubt, and we wonder why we question God's plan. We wonder why we're irritable and everything at church bothers us. We wonder why, because we're starving. Get in God's house, get in God's word. And the last thing is talk to some Christian friends. Get some other advice besides social media or the news. Get some Christians in your life. What does the Bible say? That you'll find success when you have the multitude of counsel. When you get people who have true wisdom, wisdom from heaven, wisdom from the scripture, those things are going to strengthen you. It amazes me how a man who's struggling in his marriage, who does he go to? He goes to all his buddies at the bar who've all been divorced to get advice on what to do. Get in God's house. Lean into a relationship with God. The word yada means to lean in. It means intimacy. It means to know. As in a husband and a wife. There's a similar word for worship, which means this. It means yada, which means to Lift your hands extended in worship to God. 
And the idea, in fact, let me just say, and this is an interesting thing, I've taught on worship for years. I was a worship pastor for a long, long time. One of the interesting things I found is that for people that struggle to worship by lifting their hands and singing, often are are younger and immature or or new Christians. That's because they don't have that intimacy with God. Did you know the word uh, worship in the Greek, in the New Testament, you know what it means? It's the word proskuneo, which means to lean in, to kiss. And so people who worship are people who are close to Jesus. They're intimate with Jesus. And interestingly enough, people who are not knowing God through worship, it means that there's no procreation because there's no intimacy. And there's a lot of Christians who are barren and dry because they've never known the Lord. They've never been close enough to the Lord. And so they end up questioning things. And now, what does that do? When you question everything, when you doubt everything, when you live in the valley of the shadow of death, that is the place of spiritual barrenness. But that's why the Bible, I have good news for you today. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, Sing, O barren, and shout out to the Lord for joy. The Bible says what? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You and I, if we're in our dark valley season, one of the things we need to do is rather than just doubt and rather than just fear, we need to lift our hands towards heaven and we need to start shouting. Shout Jesus from the mountain, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy. Something happens. Life begins to grow. You start moving out of darkness into life. You put on the garment of praise and heaviness starts to go away. Why? Because there's power in the presence of Almighty God. There's life and fruit that comes in the midst of the why. Amen. Come on, just every, you guys can have a seat. Everybody just lift one hand and just say Jesus. Say Jesus, I love you. See, sometimes we have to praise through it. We trust We lean on faith, and we praise through it. It's interesting because there's a verse in the Bible. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Let me give you some context. Peter, or Paul, is sharing this verse while he's in prison. He's in prison. And he came to this region to plant churches and establish God's kingdom, and he ends up in prison. And you'd think that his letters and gospels that he wrote would all be about suffering and why. And Instead, here's what he says. In everything, give thanks. Now, let me pause. He doesn't say for everything, give thanks. We're not trying to teach a principle of God, thank you for this trial. But in the trial, God, I thank you. In everything, give thanks. Look what it says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm so glad he didn't say for everything because then what you would think was, okay, so it's God's will for me to go through hardship. Now, we do go through trials. Jesus said, in this world, we'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But I want you to see something because sometimes people are trying to grasp what is God's will for me? What is God's will for me? What is God's will for my life? I'm going to tell you right now how you can know the will of God. I'm going to give you a practical thing to know God's will for your life. Here's what it is. In the middle of your why, in the middle of your valley of the shadow of death, give thanks.
For this is the will of God, to give thanks in the why. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Man, I feel the anointing here. I'm going to go off script. There's some really cool stuff about the power of a position of, of worship teaching by a TED talk where they talk about the power pose where you lift your hand and did you know that literally um, they've done research that when you will lift your hand just for two minutes a day just in this position that it does something physically and emotionally in your body in your hormones it reduces the cortisol in your body which the cortisol is what helps you fight stress and it raises testosterone which makes you more confident so literally by in the middle of your valley going like this you handle stress better and you have greater confidence for what's before you. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of Christ. Maybe the way God wants to get you stronger is to allow you to be in a trial every once in a while so that you'll learn to lift your hands so you can get stronger. Let me, let me end with this. I, 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 this is actually not a part of this a sermon, but I feel prompted to tell a quick story, um, a biblical verse and a story. So sometimes things happen and you just don't understand why. Sometimes God says no. How many here have ever had God say no? And when no comes, we can get upset and get frustrated. It happened to King David. He actually wasn't king yet. He was on the run. He was living in the land of the Philistines, trying to stay alive because Saul, the king of Israel, was trying to kill him. And so what ends up happening is King Achish, who is one of the kings of the Philistines, he told David, hey, we're going to gather and we're going to fight against Israel. You've been here under my care, living in Ziklag. I want you to bring your soldiers to go to battle with us. David says, okay, I'm coming. So he gets his soldiers. They go to the, the battle where there, there's supposed to be a battle take place between the Philistines and Israel. And all the Philistine kings look at this king of Kish and say, what did you bring him for? He says, because he's a mighty warrior. He killed Goliath. And they said, no, 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 he's not fighting with us because he might turn on us. Tell him no and send him home. And the Bible says that David goes, no, what are you talking about? I know how to fight. My men know how to fight. You can't tell me No. And the king says, yes, they said no. I can't change their mind. So you need to get up in the morning. You need to go home. So the Bible says David gets up and he goes home. God told him no. How many of us have had the moment where it just seemed like God shut the door? And he said no. So he's on his way home and he had to be going, man, God, I don't get this. I don't understand. What is your plan here? And then suddenly, watch what happens. He gets home, and when he gets home, his home, which was Ziklag, had been raided and burned and pillaged, and his family had been taken captive. All the men, their families had been taken captive by another country, and they were on the run with all of them. And if you know the story, David 
fell down before the Lord. He found encouragement and strength from God. He said, should I go chase after them? And God said, yes, chase after them, and you'll get back every single thing that was was lost. And he did. He went back, and he got back all his family. But he didn't just get back his family. He got back all the plunder from all the other villages. So he, he increased his wealth. And then here's what's interesting. And right after that, Saul who was king of Israel. By the way, David had been waiting for 14 years to be king. God has said, you're going to be the next king. Suddenly, Saul dies and David becomes king. So some of you are saying, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with it. God's no was God's biggest yes. See if we can just make it through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll see it differently. The shadows just start dark, so dark we just can't see it. We, we can't remember the verse that says all things work together, together for the good. You see, had he gone, had God said, okay, David, you can go ahead and fight in the battle. Had he twisted God's arm and said, come on, God, you got to let us go. Here's what would have happened. He would have went and he would have fought. And then when he came home, his home would have been destroyed. And not only would have been destroyed, his family would have been gone, sold into slavery, scattered throughout the world, and he never got back what was taken from him. So God loved him so much that he said, I'm going to tell you no. And then for 14 years, he'd been waiting for this promise to be the king of Israel. And had God said yes, what he didn't know was that King Saul was going to finally die and he was going to get a chance to be king. Now imagine if he had just fought with his enemy against the people of Israel and Saul died. They would have never accepted him. He would have never stepped into his calling as the next king. So God said this, David, I love you so much that I'm going to let you go through some hard times. I love you so much that you're going to be in a valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to love you so much that you're going to be in a season where you go, I don't get it. But here's what you need to know. God's no just might be the greatest act of grace and blessing that you will ever know, that you will ever experience because I can trust in the Lord with all my heart and I can lean not on my own understanding and I will worship through it. I will praise through it because I know that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I need a drink of water after that. God's not done with you yet. The story's not over. The last chapter hasn't been written. Pastor Shane's gone through a tough season. You've gone through the tough season, but it's just the valley of the shadow of death. Guess what's on the other side? The Bible says on the other side, he said, I prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. God's no is just setting you up for a yes, for a blessing, for a breakthrough. got a minute and 42 seconds and I want to tell you a no that turned into a yes would you sit for just a second we felt led to start a campus in 2019 we raised money and I walked around 
we live in a valley, and so there are mountains, and I walked around those mountains. It was 41 miles. I walked around that city, and I declared over that city that God would bless it, that we'd see revival. I began to pray, God, give us a facility. Where we live, you can't get a building and turn it into a church. This is the city, the state, they just, they, they're against you. So we put the team together. God opened miraculously a school for us to have services. And we launched our brand new campus in January 2020. And six weeks later, they shut it down. And they said, you can't meet here anymore. Now, here's what's interesting. Before that, I knew this campus was going to grow. I knew favor was on it. So I began to tell the team, we got we to get a building. We got to buy a building because the school is not the long-term solution. And miraculously, this door that looked like it was supposed to open where we could get them to sign off to have a property. It was going to be an $8 million property. Big step of faith for us. But I'm like, let's do it. We're all ready. Suddenly they come back and they say, deal's dead. It's over. No resurrection. Not going to happen. I was devastated. As God said, no. But here's the good news. Two weeks later after he said no, the pandemic hit. We had been in the middle of a a building project with all this money and supply chain issues and, and all of that. But I didn't forget that God is still on the throne in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. So you know what we began to do? We just began to say, okay, God, I thank you. God, I praise you. God, you've got this under control. One day I was driving. I told this story to Tony. I was on my way back from um, the east side where this campus was going to be. And as I was driving, I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know you've got something for us. I've prayed around these mountains for 41 miles that you will give us a building. Suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, drive into that neighborhood. I turned and I drove into the neighborhood. When I drove in, I saw this beautiful campus, the church. And I did something, and this is not the way you do it. I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. But I just said, God, I don't know your will. I don't want to hurt anyone. But if you showed me this campus because it's supposed to be ours, then I ask for it right now in Jesus' name because we need a building. Drove away, gave it to God, forgot about it. 2021. Sit down with a man who runs a network of churches and he said, Jared, I've heard you have a vision to plant churches and I heard that you have a heart to plant a church in Canyon Country. He said, you know what? What do you think if we gave you a property in Canyon Country? I said, huh? Reggie? Anybody remember Scooby-Doo? I'm like, huh? I said, where is it? Guess where it was? It was the exact property that I pulled over and I prayed over. They were down to 16 people in debt. The pastor couldn't preach anymore. And here's the interesting thing. It was $5.3 million property. They handed the deed to us. So God's no was instead of you paying $8 million and spending two years, I'm going to give you a $5.3 million for free so you can start right now. So what became, I thought was a no, was a $13.5 million accelerated blessing from Almighty God. Because when you and I will praise through it, when we walk through the valley, surely goodness and mercy 
will follow you all the days. Come on, give Jesus a praise. If you believe that he is a God who is able, 